Hyunjun, or Andre, as we'll be calling you today. We're going to talk a lot about some difficult stuff, cryptocurrency, NFTs, things which I have very little information about, and that's why you're here to talk to us about it in Korea. But before we do that, I want to try to start with some of the humans inside this subject. So, for example, if I look at people inside of baseball, in football, K-pop, opera, all that stuff, Although there are certain individuals, there's always a general demographic involved to those things. There is a, a kind of average football fan, an average opera fan. So when we think about Korean cryptocurrency, that Korean crypto world, is it basically a bunch of young dudes in their 20s? Is it different? What kind of community are we talking about here, Andre? Yeah, you're not really terribly wrong about this. It's a lot of young people in the 20s. Um, I think in the South Korean population, like we look at the, just the demographics of uh, the amount of people that are actually in using or investing in crypto, right? And if you look, it's around 13% of the Korean population with like 20% of adults and uh, one third of adults that are just working, you know, that have jobs or have already invested in crypto. And that's really a really big amount. And it's definitely going over this uh, bull market that we have. But um, it's just people realizing that it's highly unlikely for them to become rich out of just income. So they, they find a source of, of income through investment, right? Mm. Like stocks uh, generally or um, real estate and sometimes crypto, right? But uh, <laughs> your regard about, um, about just being 20 year olds, um, you're, you're absolutely right. It's 20 year olds. Uh, some might consider themselves as degenerate gamblers. Uh, some might be in their early 30s and yeah, it's usually the line of adoption for um, technology in itself. It's uh, around that area. I feel like it's uh, just around that post-university or around university uh, mm. because there's limits to how young people can actually use crypto because, I mean, they don't have money, right? Um, right? But if you look at the line of adoption for, let's say, even like social media, right? It's usually quite young and then it progresses to being older. And it definitely seems that the concentration seems to be around like 25 to 35 years old. Why do you think the people that age around university, this like Igong Samgong said there, these 20s, 30s people, why do you think it's them that are into it? So you mentioned this idea of, you know, they, they want ways to earn money and the current system might not be providing that. But is it because it's new technology that young people are in it? They're like early adapters. Is it because you need to have loads of technical skills and be computer savvy? Or is it just like a trend among those people? Well, it's definitely a little bit of everything, right? Like you just said, it definitely seems like uh, there's a really quite a trend. Whenever like Bitcoin price goes up, a lot of Koreans just FOMO into buying. And it, when people do that, you know, they usually tell their friends, you know, and there's always a story about oh, this guy that I know, this friend of friend of a friend mm. is become a billionaire now just by trading crypto or by investing on this and that and then there's always that kind of like conversation and especially in people that are like young uh, employees right they've just graduated and they've gone to the job market if you look at the like most of the topics that people are talking about uh, while they're smoking cigarettes uh, in between work mm. they're really talking about oh what uh, stock do i buy what uh, crypto do i buy what what, what how's the market and those kind of stuff well, at least that's been my experience working at a crypto firm, you know. It definitely seems like there's a barrier to actually understanding this, you know. People actually have to put their uh, time into this, and there's the trend that is also influencing it. And the more savvy people actually understand the tech, but the I, I would say that the 
unfortunately, the majority actually don't understand the tech, right? So it's just getting into it through stories, word of mouth, rumors, yeah. trends. I mean, Korea is a pretty trend-oriented society. Every yeah. society has trends, but when there's a trend in Korea, whether it's long padding, crop top, under boob, truss, like people get yeah. into that stuff hard. Do you think that plays a role? Like how does that trend aspect? And like, if you're a serious crypto bro, do you get annoyed by the people getting into it just for trends? Because you're like, no, this is serious, man. <laughs> no, it definitely seems like uh, it's more of the trend. And I don't really get annoyed by uh, the people that are coming in just because of the trend. Because a lot of them start out like that, right? And mm. they come seeking profits, but then they stay later. If you stay for a long enough time, you stay in there for the technology, for the innovation, for the things that are actually developing that are uh, providing value to this world, right? Mm. Uh, it's really not, uh, I mean, trends in itself, right? Come and go. But yeah. if you're uh, someone that has stayed here for a long time, then definitely it seems that you're more about the core um, innovations, you know, the, the, the way that it's helped society instead mm. of just let's make a quick buck, uh, I don't know, buying Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that, right? Sure, sure. Let, let's get into some of those innovations and how you think it might be helping society soon. But before that, like Andre, how did you get involved in the scene? Because, I mean, you were at Hanyang University. That's a pretty good place. It's one of the top universities in the country. And you might think from there, people go to various positions. But you were working at a crypto firm. Like, what's your trajectory into that world? Yeah, so I first started uh, getting involved in crypto just like everyone else, just like we talked about it during the trend of uh, 2017. Mm. It, there was a massive uh, bull rally, right? And that was the time that I actually got involved first. And at the time, you know, I saw a price difference of 50% uh, between Bitcoin abroad and Bitcoin in Korean exchanges, right? This is called the kimchi premium, you know, Koreans pay a premium because a lot of them FOMO in like um, they have fear of missing out and mm. they just buy a lot of crypto and the supply is so uh, low that the Koreans, you know, they, they pay a premium for this, right? And at the time that they were paying a 50% premium, what I did was basically profit off of that difference. Uh, and that's how I first got involved into crypto. And I did this with this friend from high school, actually, just sending over, um, buying Bitcoin abroad, sending it to Korea, sending it back to my friend and hmm. continuing the cycle. But over time, you know, I definitely had breaks in between, you know, when the market's really low. Uh, because there's a, not a lot of uh, interesting things, but uh, I've been always keeping an eye on this and sometimes even investing during this time, right? I also started getting more involved into it uh, in 2000, at the end of 2020, mm. uh, quite a bit more in 2020. And uh, I saw that there was opportunities of uh, buying like certain coins that I thought that were going to be bullish, right? And over then, you know, what happened was there was, again, kimchi premium started happening again because a lot of Koreans just massively uh, started putting uh, their money into crypto and they were paying a premium. So started doing uh, arbitraging. This, this thing is called arbitraging. Mm. And at the time there was uh, the peak, I think it was 22% difference, right? But um, this kimchi premium though, like I think it ultimately stems from the like, trading limitations that are unique to the countries like exchanges and uh the basically there's a lot of like domestic capital controls and the inability also like foreigners are not able to trade in korean platforms right 
these are kind of like regulations that maybe we need to look over again, you know. And uh, unfortunately, you know, because of these regulations, I, I Koreans pay a premium about this. Mm. But um, after after uh, doing this kimchi premium overcharging, then I graduated and right before graduating, I actually got a job at a crypto firm at a VC and incubation startup accelerator called mm. Mainblock. And I have been working ever since. Uh, so we basically uh, help little uh, projects that don't really have a web free or uh, blockchain strategy and develop that strategy for them, uh, help them uh, with their ICO, IDO, which means like initial uh, coin offering is the equivalent of IPO in the stock world mm. or IDO, which is initial DEX offering, you know, and uh, we help them through that to uh, basically grow a lot faster and like help them with the learning curve, right? And after working for this uh, company, I've realized that this is really what I want to do. Like, uh, I want to pursue this a lot more mm. uh, in the coming years. But that's basically been my trajectory and my history of like how I have uh, started in crypto. There's a couple of things here, Andre, that I need to try to unpack. So you mentioned some like 2017 bull market period. I, I I don't know what that is. So like you mentioned it, like it was the 2002 World Cup, or it was like. Oh, but, so I so there was a what was this 2017? So I want to talk about that and then this Gimchi yeah. Premium to make sure I understand it. What was that time? What was that time you were describing there? So um, like Bitcoin in itself, or the crypto market in itself, moves in uh, cycles, and the cycles peak at certain years, right? So uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it peaked in 2013. Uh, it peaked in 2015 again. Um, it peaked in 2017, 18, right in like December. Mm. And right now you could say that it has peaked in 2021 in uh, March. And it's done another, I don't know if it considered peak, but it went up to an all-time high, you know. The price of Bitcoin went to the highest point it's ever been in historically, right? And during those cycles, you know, during those like all-time high periods, mm. there's really a lot of Koreans that rush in to buy at the worst time possible. They and buy when it's this, high. That yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense, but uh, there's always this uh, kimchi premium that holds because there's a lot of Koreans that are rushing into the market to buy mm -hmm. and they inflate the prices and the supply of the coins in Korean exchanges uh, is so low that just the price goes up on uh, Korean exchanges. While it's still 20 to, I don't know, less than 20% um, cheaper in other exchanges, in global exchanges. Mm -hmm. So. That's that's basically what the kimchi premium is, you know, um, because the unfortunately the trading cycle, uh, the trading patterns of Korean seems to be a lot more involved into rushing into the market when it's <laughs> gaining interest at the yeah. highest, then it kind of dies down, right? Well, that I think that works with all the other trends, whether it's long padding or all the things we said, the white trousers <laughs> this summer. But when it's stocks, that's a bit different. Before I go to the gimchi premium one more question about this how high is high so like when bitcoin's at its highest and, and and when it's high how much is a bitcoin worth in monetary terms like what okay so uh bitcoin historically uh let's say when i was in uh 2017 at 
its peak, it reached uh, $18,000. And in the Korean exchanges, it reached $25,000, right? For one Bitcoin. Yeah, one Bitcoin. For the same Bitcoin, you know, that... <clears throat> Uh, but in this current cycle, I think, it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it reached first in uh, March, 50 something, you know, $57,000. Mm. And um, <clears throat> later on, it went on to be going up to like 60 something thousand, uh, $63,000, right? So with this Gimchi premium, at the time when you get into it, if you want to buy Bitcoin anywhere in the world, it's yeah. this price, but if you want to buy it in Korea, it's more expensive. Yes, yes. And so what you were doing is you were buying it from the other part of the world yeah. and yeah. then selling it in Korea for the higher price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's basically- it's very clever. It, you know, very, yeah, very simply, you know. <laughs> How did you, do you need like a, a VPN or a foreign citizenship to buy it from other parts? Or uh, it might be a stupid question, but like, how does that well, work? Because in Korea, foreigners can't buy it. Yeah, so uh, in Korea, it's blocked for Korean exchanges are blocked for foreigners, unfortunately. But uh, what you can do is basically what I did at the time in 2017 was contact my friend that was also uh, my, my closest friend that was in Mexico. And we basically ran this together, you know, and mm. <clears throat> process this. The name of the game is basically how do you cycle money the fastest way possible, you know, so that you can receive it, send it, receive it, send it, receive it, send it, constantly, mm. constantly run that. Mm. And ideally you could do it with code. I didn't have the coding background to um, actually automate, automate this, but um, yeah, so that's how I did it. And there's several ways that you can also do it, right? But yeah, um, that's, that's the name of the game, you know? Mm. I, yeah, you're saying? Where does the Gimchi premium come from? So if in Korea it's more expensive and foreigners mm -hmm. can't do it, that sounds like it's a closed market, like something's been set up, like there's a structure in place. So who has established this Gimchi premium? Where does it come from? Is it like people like you that have established it so you can profit off it? Or is it is it coming from the government or from the banks? Where does that system come from? Well, it, it ultimately stems from the like the trading limitations, the, the regulations that come, you know. So, for example, in Korea, in the Korean exchanges, mm. you couldn't buy USDT, the stable coin that is supposed to represent US dollars. Okay. Uh, you couldn't buy it at the same price that a US dollar is worth, right? Mm. So, just because the Korean government does not really want to allow a massive outflow of uh, capital. Uh, and there's a lot of like domestic capital controls for this, you know? Mm. And within this to try to protect uh, itself and try to like basically uh, make people pay for uh, foreign exchange services, you know, these kind of things, they've created this uh, premium that happens at the, seat, uh, the peak of cycles, right? So that's basically where it, stems from it's really stemming from the regulations that i think are can't they do have positives right mm. like the massive outflow of capital but in these certain like months you know where crypto market is really bullish it mm. really hurts the consumer because they're buying at a premium and then that premium goes away so then they bought 50 percent higher now 
maybe the price of Bitcoin stayed the same, but now they have 50% less, you know? It hurts those people, but I guess it benefited you. I, just before we move on to the next question, you don't have to answer this, but like during that where you were buying at 17,000 or selling at 25, you were doing that Gimchi premium thing with your friend mm -hmm. in Mexico. Was it enough to like give you a new, a nice summer? Was it enough to change your life? Like, was it just buy dinner or what? You don't have to answer. I'm just kind of curious what kind of things we're talking about here is a rough ballpark. Yeah, so I, for me at the time, uh, it was quite a bit. Um, I think I've been using that fund for like, probably a year of university, you know, I didn't pay a lot of tuition because I had scholarships, right? Mm. National scholarships, mm. but it definitely helped me with uh, just my, uh, like in a sense, pocket money, what I see it now, but at the time mm. I felt like a lot of money, you know, for a young person, right? But during this time of 2021, you know, uh, I think I've processed around like uh, uh, quite a bit of money so that it's a substantial amount of money for what I would consider. Mm. Uh, I <laughs> more than that information. I don't know if I. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. That's important. I, I, I just wanted to get some kind of idea. But you know, for young people going through university, it's not easy. The employment stuff is not easy, and there's so much focus on study. So anything that helps you get through that is a cool thing. Um, if we look at this idea. I want to ask about like crypto and digital wallets and memes and uh, and like the community because how how like people of your generation I've I've never asked my students at the university this like I've never asked who has a crypto wallet I don't even know if that's the right question but um are there certain wallets or apps or memes or things that dominate the community you know, you might be a bit old for that now, but what's the uh, what's the community like in terms of attitudes and trends and memes and applications and all that? What's the reality of it, Andre? Well, I think that yes, the crypto community and even the stocks community for people that are in the twenties is really a lot about memes. You know, you can see mm. a, a Wall Street bets and Reddit. You know, it's just full of memes, memes, memes about how like uh, the United States Fed is regulating things or Fed Jerome Paul or even in Korea also, right? Uh, <laughs> these memes uh, are really, the, the crypto community, I feel like, to be honest in it, to be fair to the crypto community, I think that's uh, people that are willing to take on a lot more risk. Mm. Uh, and typically people in the 20s don't have a lot uh, to lose, so it's, kind of logical for them to try to actually have a little bit more risk you know they don't have a family they have to feed you know um but especially in the korean uh, community i i'm not too sure if they the korean community does this like due diligence into like aping into a coin into buying a coin you know they don't really check the white paper which is basically uh what the coin is supposed to do the business strategy or the functions of it you know and mm. um they just buy it because a friend could recommended it, a YouTube guy could recommend it, and it's definitely going to go up, you know, just <laughs> trust me, bro. That mm. kind of like um, not really factual or evidence-based uh, crypto community is, well, thinking is really plagued, you know. Um, but 
I saw, you know, a funny story actually was that I saw on Instagram, you know, my friend up downloaded Upbeat, you know, he was asking, so which, which coins Upbeat? do I buy? What's Upbeat up? is the Korean exchange, right? It's okay. the Korean exchange, the, the biggest Korean exchange for cryptocurrency. Uh-huh. There's two two of them basically, which is uh, Upbeat and Bithlam. Mm-hmm. So uh, my friend is like, oh, which ones do I buy? Do I buy the ones with the cool name? Mm. <laughs> That's the kind of standard that... Uh, has been placed, I feel like, in Korean, uh, in the Korean community, which is uh, really risky. But I mean, if you're just playing it as if, as a way to gamble money, you know, mm. because crypto can be used for an investment, but also it can be used just for gambling, right? And what I personally defined is investment and how you can separate the two between investment and gambling is what's more likely to actually make you money, right? Mm. And <laughs> People relying on other people's like judgment, I don't really think that it's good. Um, and especially, I, I really can show the evidence for this because if you go into, let's say, CoinMarketCap, which is a, a website that aggregates data, mm-hmm. uh, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and you look at uh, upbeats and the most traded volume for uh, coins, you know, mm-hmm. it's usually really small or uh, riskier uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Typically abroad in global exchanges, it's always gonna be number one, Bitcoin, okay? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it comes and goes, but always number one is Bitcoin. Uh, Ethereum comes next usually. And then there's usually a top 10 coins that are being traded. But in Korea, you see like coins like Steam, Axie, Golem, Remix, and these smaller cap coins, just because you can, because the investors in Korea are seeking i guess more profits right taking on more risk to potentially have more upside right Mm. and that's really what it seems to be the trend in uh in korean crypto i I want to ask you about you know these apps what you would actually need on your phone in korea to do this but i think just for a bit of cultural maybe comparison like i'm from the united kingdom and whenever like there's a football game the premier league comes on you have people coming at you on adverts like place a bet now who's going to score first right and you're encouraged to bet all the time on your phones five pounds ten pounds in korea like gambling's illegal you can get in big trouble for for gambling so i wonder how much that repression of gam I remember when I first came, there were all these like Yagi Pada gambling things across Jongno, but they all got shut down. But I wonder how much the repression of gambling in society, although it still takes place, it's illegal, you can't do it, that that pushes people into this kind of high risk, high reward type action, which is different from in the international communities. Now, Andre, like you were talking about this, if you pick up a Korean person's phone, like Korean people don't use WhatsApp, they use Kakao generally right yeah. and they're all different apps they're slightly different if you were a, a crypto bro in korea are there certain apps that you have you need to have do you have like a, this exchange one and then you have a wallet how does that work on your phone yeah so uh if you're a regular crypto bro in korea you definitely are gonna have uh either upbeat mm-hmm. or bitthum which is the two major exchanges and with upbeat you're required to make a korean bank account for this uh, specific exchange, which is called KBank. And um, for Bitsum, you're required to download this app uh, by Dunghyup. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, these are the, definitely the apps that you have. Uh, but apart from that, I think that you will have something to look at charts. So the interface for Korean uh, or really a lot of exchanges for trading is not really that good. So mm -hmm. you probably have trading view, uh, which allows you to see the price action of almost all the assets around the world. Mm -hmm. um, you're probably going to have uh, Binance, which is the biggest global exchange outside of Korea. And these are definitely the apps that you're going to have. And probably you're going to be having a lot of uh, YouTube recommendations about coins and stuff like that. Unfortunately, yeah. You sent me one video, and after that, my algorithm was messed up, man. Like the next yeah. day, it's like, oh, no, come on, it's coming back. It's coming back. Um, but yeah, that's the thing of it. So you have those apps. Did you say one of them, you have to have a Nonghyup bank account? Yeah. So yeah. these are connected. Uh, so Nonghyup is like, uh, it's also a supermarket. You can get Nonghyup markets, and you can get non, non. But that's a that's a legitimate bank, though, isn't it? In Korea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So these are definitely legitimate banks. I think that yeah. they want you to be able to prove that you live in Korea and that you're stay, you are Korean. And mm. there's a lot of background checks in Korea, like, and you have to have a real actual bank account for this. You know, you can't use your, although you might have a regular bank account at Dongyeop, you have to make mm. another one for that purpose, you know, specifically. Mm. That's really interesting because I thought all this stuff was kept in like digital wallets or things like this. But you're saying the the transaction and money goes through one of these legitimate Korean banks or an account there. Yeah. yeah. So um, these there's two ways of doing it. And I think the common crypto bro will just be using exchanges. But uh, if you're the people that have been into it a lot deeper, they'll mm. have uh, their private wallets. Right. Uh, that are not held by custodian wallets like exchanges or uh, things of this nature, right? And you'll probably be using MetaMask, uh, which is the biggest decentralized wallet, right? Um, with, to hold your assets. And in crypto, you have something called like not your wallet, not your uh, coins, basically. Mm. And if a cryptocurrency exchange is holding your assets, technically there's been history of... Uh, exchanges being hacked and robbed you know so a lot of those funds may or may have not uh been refunded to the user but it's best for you to hold your assets uh in a private manner you know it, it, you can use metamask send your assets you know um to hold these because you never really know when when they're gonna get hacked you know yeah, that's even so, I've even heard stories of North Korea and other, you know, just anywhere yeah. around the world, not just North Korea, people in England yeah. as well, of course. But yeah. that vulnerability is huge. We meant to come to this part of it later, but you've mentioned a few times that in Korea, only Korean people can access these services. Right. So foreigners are not allowed. So let's just jump into that a little bit now. Is that something like you approve of? Because. I'm a permanent resident. I voted in the local elections recently. I I, I can do that. Um, signing up for anything as a foreigner in Korea is ridiculously hard because I don't have a three-syllable name and everything becomes, am I David Andrew, Tizard, Tizard David Andrew? It's weird. Um, what's your take on this idea of foreigners not being able to access the Korean uh, crypto thing legally? Is that good? Is that bad? Is that what happens in other countries as well? So it's part of the norm or it's like another gimchi weirdness thing here. Do foreigners access it like secretly 
or is it just really tough? Well, foreigners are able to access it through, um, so for example, you could sign up for uh, an exchange in the UK if you have a UK bank account and you could buy Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency using that exchange and send it to, actually, you could not send it to the Korean exchange, but uh, I definitely seems, I, I think it definitely seems that to be a little bit unfair <laughs> to uh, foreigners. And this is really not, unfortunately, this is not really surprising though. Um, with a lot of the, uh, my coworkers, you know, we have a few uh, foreign coworkers and they have not been able to uh, buy crypto using Korean exchanges and access this, right? But uh, I really don't know what are the motivations for this, but definitely when there's a kimchi premium, there's a rush of, um, let's say, foreign entities trying to uh, con gain access to Korean exchanges to make profit from that uh, mm. uh, premium, right? But it really, it really does seem unfair. Um, I think that Korea is progressing to being more foreign friendly, hopefully. Mm. But um, at this moment, it definitely seems like it's unfair and something that could be changed, you know, easily. Like if you're able to re meet all of the standards, you know, if you're able to make a, a bank account in Korea using your real identity, then you should be able to actually access all of these things. Maybe someone that is not able to uh, make a Korean bank account might be barred and not allowed to trade in Korean exchanges. And that might be, uh, I guess, fair. Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure, but uh, if you're able to make a Korean bank account using uh, your your foreign alien registration, which mm -hmm. that's been changed name, um, then you should definitely be able to do this. I, I think that this needs to be changed quite uh, right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get more people involved, I guess. I was part of the, uh, the Bomobu, the Justice Ministry program that changed that alien to foreigner oh. by the way oh wow yeah yeah. there's a little <laughs> bit of information <laughs> um it's weird though that sometimes I, I i remember seeing um like taxi firms like digital taxi firms come into korea and then the korean like uber and then the government will say no you can't do that and kick them out and then a year later they'll release cacao taxi and things like this there is this internal development that sometimes takes place in korea to protect um, but it makes sense. And another another thing is we talked about gambling. I can go to all the casinos in South Korea. I can go there and I can I can I'm not a degenerate gambler. I have many vices, but gambling's not one of them. And, uh, you know, I can I can get free whiskey and play roulette and poker as a Korean. You can't. And that's a weird thing, isn't it? The, the way these rules and everything work. Um, one of the reasons that this has been in the news recently in Korea is because of Luna. Now, even if you're not a crypto bro or anything like that, are they crypto bro? Is that the right word? Are there other words? Let's come to that. Uh, uh, degen. Degen. Like degen. degenerate. Is that yeah. what it is? A degen. An ape or degen, yeah. What's an ape? Like the monkeys, the NFTs? Or? Yeah, um, yeah, like a uh, monkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so right. the degens, the apes, right? And the crypto bros. Um, even if you weren't into that scene, this Luna story was just like on all the news. It was in all the newspapers. And so I want to talk a little bit about this Luna thing. And you told me about the gentleman behind it, Do Kwon, which is not his real name. But 
what kind of figure is, is he like an Elon Musk figure? Because you were saying he has some very provocative tweets. I don't want to only see it through a, an American lens or something like that, but I'm just trying to understand this person and their position in the Korean cryptocurrency community. Yeah, so the CEO of um, Terraform Labs is the creator of Luna. Mm. He has another co-founder, but he is not as outspoken. But uh, and Luna is a cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, Sorry, Luna just... is a Korean cryptocurrency. Okay, yeah. And um, he, the CEO Do Kwon, actually attended Stanford for computer science. You know, and he's very outspoken, charismatic on Twitter. Mm. And he really, <laughs> what he loves to do was uh, shit talk other stable coins mm -hmm. projects. You know, and influential people, much like Elon Musk, right? And he was also out there making outlandish things, you know, but one of the things that he, I guess, could characterize him as making a $1 bet and kind of like cyber pressuring someone to make a $1 million bet with him, you know, and they bet on the price of Luna a year after, you know, mm. if it's going to be above what it currently is or below what it currently is, right? And <laughs> definitely... <laughs> If you've seen any kind of news about this, you know that he lost the bet. But uh, this event, you know, that um, happened after all of this shit talking was this event of massive capital destruction mm. caused by his firm. And precisely around like $40 billion, or I guess, uh, I think it was almost 50 also at this highest, right? Five zero, uh, right? Fifty billion. Yeah, dollars. fifty billion, right? Dollars, dollars just poof, gone in a matter of uh, let's say less than a week. How much is that in Korean? I, I, this is probably too big to even think about, isn't it? Yeah, and there's too many zeros. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just use dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, while this was happening, you know, he tweets out also like, although she, he maybe should have been concentrating on how to solve this pro uh, problem of uh, his cryptocurrency tanking, his mm. stable coin tanking. Um, he was out there, you know, saying like steady lads, deploying more capital, which now it's used for as a meme, you know. Mm. And the amount of memes that were constructed out of all of the things that he talked shit about mm. have like blown, blown up during this time, during this crash. And if you would have been on Twitter, uh, definitely... It's a very useful tool to use for cryptocurrencies, at least. Uh, you would have seen uh, a humongous amount of memes just pointing every single thing that he said that basically was unfounded, you know? Maybe mm -hmm. he shouldn't have said that, right? Mm -hmm. And like, for example, when he was making that $1 million bet, he was like, oh, I don't debate poor people on Twitter, you know, these kinds of things, you know? <laughs> and he's out there for uh, insulting projects like Dai that are competitors, you know? Uh, he's a very like outspoken individual, but <laughs> karma, uh, I think maybe exists in this world and what happened after, you know, yeah. what we can talk about it um, was a market crash, you know, or, or his cryptocurrency started to, to depeg, which I'll go more later on. Mm. About. Yeah, I want to talk about that and the stable coin and this $50 billion log because these are huge amounts of money. First two questions on what you've just said there on Doguan. The first one is, 
does he do this in English or Korean? You said he was Stanford educated. So does a lot of this yeah. communication like steady bros and hold the fort we're going, is that going on in English or Korean? Yeah, that's all going in English, actually. He's fully, uh, he's fluent in English, you know, that's why he's been able to gather all of this attention. Usually like CEOs of Korean projects cannot have that outreach because they don't, they have a language barrier, you know? Mm. And although someone can translate it for you, it kind of sounds artificial, you know, kind of sounds, doesn't really connect with people. And there's just that kind of like news, uh, there's that kind of like really small things that you can tell apart, you know, between connecting with people and what someone has translated, right? I know the feeling very well. People look at my Korean writing and they're like, no, David, it's too, it's too proper. It's not right. That's not how we write things. So I, I show it to my nephew and I was like, change that. For me. Um, do you think because of the way this crypto market is, and I might be off base here, but there is a necessity for these people to be charismatic, to be outspoken because it draws attention and all publicity, even if it's bad stuff is good publicity because now we know who Do Kwon is and like, I don't know any other CEOs or crypto bros in Korea. Um, so does that actually help? Is that part of what makes or drives the industry? This, this meme, this being outspoken, this being a figure, is that necessary? Well, I don't think it's necessary, but it definitely does help, you know, whenever you're able to gather a lot of like attention, although it might be bad, you know, mm. that, that really helps with, I guess, your clout, you know, your hype. And uh, it definitely helped with the go uh, growth of Luna. Like you can talk about, let's say, uh, outspoken figures like Elon Musk, let's say uh, Donald Trump or Conor McGregor, people like uh, in various industries and the Kanye one who, West, yeah, 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 the one who shit talks the most really gathers a lot of attention. You know, he's like on a newspaper uh, all of the time about how what he said, and uh, it definitely seems like a positive. But unfortunately, uh, with this crash, it definitely seems like he was given accountability of his words mm. all yeah. of the that were produced right? it's incredible the amount of money but just before we go into this this huge shock to the korean market i mean because korea is doing so well across so many fields at the moment you know what i mean whether it's movies whether it's Park Tanuk at Cannes and the, the music the dramas all, all crushing it but then you get this huge korean devastation in their crypto market before we get into that i thought i knew a little bit about this digital currency, but Luna, this cryptocurrency started by Dogwan and it, it now uses something called stable coins. Now this was a new thing for me. Like, so can you try to explain before we talk about the crash, what, how these crypto coins and stable coins and Luna uses this kind of thing? Okay. So, um, basically there's two parts of it, right? Which is UST, which is an algorithmically, uh, stable coin and Luna which is the governance token so if you hold the governance token you can vote on proposals that are vote for or reject for proposals that uh, Luna makes right but basically uh, UST it's an algorithmic stable coin and it maintains its price to one dollar right and in general we use this stable coin because we use stable coins in uh, the market too because Cryptocurrency is very volatile. Mm. And so most of the coins like uh, are going up and down in price a lot. So because of this fluctuation, it is a, an unattractive thing to use just for transactions. Uh, because 
I might send you $100, right? But you might have received uh, $98. So uh, this need for uh, stablecoin and stablecoins mm. solve uh, stable this, you know? Uh, typically the biggest, the biggest stablecoin right now is USDT, uh, followed by I think USDC or BUSD. And these are all, uh, most stable coins like these are backed by an underlying asset that you can redeem dollar for dollar. So you can basically change $1, uh, a stable coin, USDT, mm. to an actual dollar, right? Uh, so for example, let's say USDT has reserves backing it with USD, uh, USD. and also they have loans, uh, they have bonds, they have precious metals that are basically in case that everyone starts to trade in their USDT for actual dollars, mm. they can actually supply all of the uh, demand. Although they have not disclosed this, uh, we don't know if it's 100%, but it's close, closer to a majority, I feel like, right? And on the other hand, we have uh, Luna, which is the currency backing USDT. And the way that they interact each other is by being able to swap one for each other. Luna, the number mm. is token. You can change it for one UST. You know, one dollar worth of Luna, you can change it for UST. So in simple terms, you know, if uh, the way that you calibrate or you uh, maintain this price is uh, people will buy and sell Luna and UST to maintain its normal price to one dollar. So if UST is above $1, you can buy $1 worth of Luna, sell it, sell one UST and change it to one UST and sell it for over a dollar. And if you have UST below a dollar, right? You can buy one UST for less than a dollar and change it to $1 of Luna and sell it for profit, right? So this is the arbitrage mechanism that counterbalance and pegs the price to a uh, dollar basically. And the supply and demand are, the supply contracts and uh, expands depending mm. on the demand of Luna or UST, right? And however, like UST had a limit on how much you can trade, you know, how much you can mint uh, one day. And precisely they had a, a minting capacity of 293 million, right? But what happens if people withdraw if people withdraw more than 293 million. 293 well, million what, sorry, coins? Uh, UST. UST, yeah. all right. Yeah. And that's the stable coin. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, this term of a death spiral happens, right? Mm. And actually, uh, Dokkon actually went to an interview like two months, before, uh, two months ago uh, and he predicted the death spiral himself, you know, although he said it was statistically unlikely, you know, mm. he, he was in a podcast called Unchained, Unchained podcast, mm -hmm. and he predicted it. So, uh, well, what happens in this death spiral is basically USD supply starts to decrease, right? Because let's say someone sold a lot of USD and they wanted to redeem it for a lot of Luna, which leads to minting a lot more Luna mm. to bring back the price of UST to $1, mm. right? Then, which makes Luna price decrease uh, 
decrease and it also decreases the confidence in the ecosystem right because yeah. momentarily it's uh, spiked down you know and uh, it makes holders looking at that rush to redeem their luna which mints more uh luna and the cycle of basically selling selling panic selling 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 continues and revolves and this is exactly what happened and what destroyed the 40 billions of capital right and just a week so this perfect system because what i understood about this previously and i might be wrong but you had like one coin you'd buy dogecoin you'd buy bitcoin ethereum mm -hmm. but with this new thing like with luna you would have that one, but it was also connected to another one. So there was this yeah. balance operating between it to avoid the volatility. Yeah. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the idea of having like gold reserves, you know, the, the, yeah, the, it's much more similar to that. You know, I think, um, the U S dollar gold reserves, actually, uh, they, the Nixon administration changed it. Yeah. Uh, because of the possibility of death spiral. I'm not too sure about this, but at the time, you know, there was a lot of uh, countries that were uh, using US dollars and they could redeem their US dollars for actual gold, right? Mm. But since uh, countries starting to, started to redeem a lot more gold, the United States government had to uh, stop their gold standard, you know, mm. they, because of, uh, possibility that everyone might rush to uh, redeem it for gold and there might not be actually enough gold to for everyone right so it's quite similar to let's say uh i guess it's comparable to a gold standard right oh, yeah so just be before we get into this idea of the effects of a market or, or this losing 40 all of that money was it 40 billion dollars it's, it's incredible right? this amount yeah. of money before we get into that because that that has real life effects on people in it right so i want to talk about that and also the idea that well that money doesn't just disappear it goes somewhere else right so if 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 one company loses money the money doesn't just whoosh, evaporate yeah. but it will go somewhere else in the system is there a case we talked about the charismatic nature of people online with these that if he predicted, Doquan predicted this death spiral on Unchained, is there an idea that people can manipulate these markets for their own benefit? We've seen Elon Musk and Twitter, and he might make certain comments. You get the idea that, you know, if you're involved in these things, people want to make profit. That's not a bad thing in a capitalist system. Is there an idea that Doquan perhaps knew this was going to happen, so covered his bases and he might have made bank while 40 billion got lost? Yeah, so the South Korean government is currently in investigating him, and it really seems like unlikely that they're gonna be able to charge him with anything. Uh, they he did seem like he was trying his best to save this, and um, although I don't really put the fault at uh, Do Kwon or maybe there is a lot, quite a bit of fault in him, but. Um, what what would what the fault be what would the fault be or what would the charge be sorry andre is it just negligence or is it creating a faulty system or shit tweeting or shit posting or, or um i think he didn't he didn't act in malice though so sure. I, i'm not too sure on how they would be able to like give him a crime for this but right 
um, there is some bad actors, especially in this, you know, because uh, if someone understood that if you sell more than, if you have a billion dollars, let's say, mm. um, redeeming its UST for actual uh, Luna or redeeming its UST for what at the time was allowed to do was Bitcoin also, uh, then you can crash all of this, right? And people have actually suspected uh, BlackRock and Citadel, you know, to be... What's BlackRock and Citadel, Andre? BlackRock and Citadel, I don't know what they are. Oh, sorry. BlackRock and Citadel, okay. An easy way to think about it is like, if the Illuminati were to exist, right? <laughs> These entities... <laughs> are we going QAnon here? Are we yeah. going... What's going on? No, I, I don't... I say this as a joke, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, they're entities that control a lot of money, you know? They control a probably... Um, thousand, uh, I, I think over a trillion dollars worth of capital, you know, is under the control. They're uh, immense hedge funds and they're, um, they were, yeah, they just have a lot of money to, uh, and they're controlling a lot of assets. But two if, separate companies, sorry, I just want to, separate, separate. Yeah, two, BlackRock two and Citadel, both yeah. Amer American or global? Yeah, both or? American, yeah. Okay. So, um people have thought you know like they went on forums stuff like that and they thought oh it's definitely blackrock and citadel but uh there's no evidence for this to be to being them and there's no evidence for them to uh there's no evidence for who it is actually right now right mm. nothing has come up mm. but um apart from just who is at fault you know like luna the luna foundation guard so Dokon basically was accumulating a lot of BTC and they wanted to be the biggest B, uh, BTC wallet. BTC world, is Bitcoin, know? right? Yeah, Bitcoin. Yes. I'm trying to keep up, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, basically what they had to do was uh, if a, a large entity changed the Bitcoin for UST and then while the market was crashing, right, mm. everything was going down in prices naturally. Um, they re wanted to redeem this for now for um, Bitcoin in itself, right? But it's the worst timing possible because in a, sales, in a sense, Luna would have bought high and sold uh, low, you know, and they would have lost a lot of capital, right? So they're in this like massive shit show of trying to repeg and also someone causing this, you know, and uh, a lot of capital just being completely changed out of their hands, you know. Mm. Um, you can say it also, there's a lot more fault in uh, certain things that they did, like for example, Anchor Protocol. Anchor Protocol was basically their uh, DeFi protocol where they give you 20% returns. It's mm. a simple way to think about it as just like a savings account, right? But um, they basically give you 20% of, um, of profit, you know, if you were to stake UST, you know, so uh, which is outlandish for, let's say, a bank to do this. But in, in crypto, it's really not that much, you know, um, there's outlandish uh, rewards in almost every single protocol, right? Mm. But uh, basically, they treated this like a lost lead leader you know and they were paying the the people the rewards you know through the yield research you know and if you look at the charts right now 
um, then you could have told that they only had one month of runway before the music stopped and chaos ensued, right? Mm. Before they had to reinject more money. And this, in a sense, is the way, the reason why I guess crypto gets a bad rep about being, let's say, a Ponzi scheme, you know? But in itself, this was basically reinjecting the money of people that have been prior, you know, and giving it to the people, not reinjecting the, pe- the money of people that have recently joined and giving it to people that have been uh, there for a longer time, right? Mm. And this is, it's really not um, surprising, you know, because uh, after every single market crash, there's been historically that there's coins that just go to zero because they have a Ponzi-nomics, you know, Ponzi-economics, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really not, um, they might, they definitely have fault in that, you know, uh, because they screw up, they screwed up with that, but uh, they were trying to achieve something that has historically been impossible to do, you know, uh, Dokkan was also part of this, previously was known for this uh, stable coin that he made, right? But that also failed. And historically, all alg- algorithmically uh, maintained or pegged stable mm. coins have failed, right? So this was proof that the, uh, it seems un- very unlikely that they would, that someone's going to be able to do this successfully in, in the short future, you know? Like, UST and Luna, you know, they were the. If you look at all of the amount of money, they mm. only had forty percent of supply for UST, right? Uh, okay. Which means that basically, uh, let's say if they were holding thirty thousand, you know, uh, let's say they were holding uh, ten billion Luna, uh, ten billion UST around in their ecosystem, mm. then only uh, four billion could actually be redeemed you know dollar for dollar you know and that's the basic fault that uh a lot of algorithmic stable coins have you know and that's the that's the sketchy part that uh i think that needs to be looked at more deeply i think they might need to change the name of this stable coin thing it doesn't sound very stable it doesn't sound like it works basically (laughs) actually uh they they've released this version two you know so when something really bad happens in crypto or in a cryptocurrency, uh, yeah. they call it a fork. So they've released the second version of this, you know. Um, and now they call the normal, like Luna and UST, uh, mm. Luna Classic, you know. That's the old currency now. This is the new one, you know. Is it called Luna New? Is it called Luna Zero? No, Luna, no, no. It's just called Luna now, you know. Uh, they call okay. the old one Luna Classic, and this mm. one is just the normal one, yeah. So we lost $40 billion. Let's change the name and try again. Um, how <laughs> man, like my wife gets angry if I lose like Sabegwon or Sachodwon or something like that or a coffee. She's like, ah, Um How for people, we, we spoke at the beginning of this conversation, Andre, like about um, young people and those working in their 20s and 30s, they might start investing in crypto in South Korea because the job market's not there. The security's not there. That story that used to dominate Korea was study hard, go to university, get a job, get a house, bang. That that was that. But that's harder to do these days. Like it's it's almost impossible to get a house in Seoul. It, it, it's hard to get a job even if you graduate. So more and more people were going in. You said like thirteen percent of the population, something like that, with with the crypto. If this huge thing in Korea 
what kind of effect does that have on the people what kind of effect does it have on your industry and, and people working on that is it like the asian financial crisis or are, are people or are people surviving you know what's been the effect on humans here andre well the effect on humans it definitely seems to be quite large you know unfortunately i think i seen previously that there was eight committed suicides regarding this uh -huh. and uh people lost their life savings you know uh people were taking out mortgages and taking out loans you know they they were doing this so that they could put it in anchor and uh, pay 8% of the interest of a loan and gain 20% of the profit, you know, for the rewards. And it's really put people in a bad financial position, um, especially Koreans, you know, because Koreans were the, the people <laughs> that were most likely, they were the ones that were buying this while this crash was happening, you know, all um, I personally also held some Luna, uh, if I were to be honest, but I've lost like, not a lot, you know, just like a couple, uh, less than a thousand dollars. Right. Mm. Uh, but still definitely, definitely seems to be quite big impact on the trust of Koreans to, um, to cryptocurrencies, to the market itself. It reached waves across globally, you know, because a lot of people listen to this and hear this, you know, they're like, oh, then they get scared away. Mm. Uh, it's probably uh, slowed back the industry, you know, for uh, a year or two, maybe. I'm not too sure about what are really the true consequences for the industry, but definitely seems that for humans, you know, the human side of it, you know, people have lost, there's people that have lost everything, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Although maybe Dokkon actually had a truly well-intentioned uh, uh, project, you know, I think that there, there needs to be a lot more like critical thinking and a lot more analysis on uh, a lot more due diligence on uh, things like this, right? So before anyone really goes buy a cryptocurrency, I, I, I would urge them to look at their white paper and like, if they're doing anything else that has been historically been done, look at how it has uh, acted, right? How the mechanisms actually work. And if you don't understand it, then I would recommend people to actually not invest to it because that's the reason why I, I feel like a lot of Koreans, because this is a Korean project, they, they have a, a lot of money in, tied into this because it's the biggest Korean project that has I think ever existed, right? Mm. And for the Korean community, it definitely seems like it's quite a big loss. But if you were smart about it and you diversified and you've done your due diligence, then you would have uh, probably not lost uh, quite a, a lot, you know, not had all of your chips, uh, <laughs> not placed all of your chips in one hand, right? Mm -hmm. Or got all in. Eggs in the basket we use in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, and we talked about how trends are so big and Korean people are in it. So there would have been many that were just invested into Luna. What's the, like, I know you said that this will have affected Korea's reputation in the international crypto community. Just in, in general, what's that like? Because 
I don't know, I, I'm going to do some like positive stereotype generalizations, like Korean people are pretty good at math and that, you know, that's a, an offensive positive stereotype, but bloody hell, it's true sometimes. The, the math homework that my nephew does, I can't do it. And he's like 16. It's incredible. Um, so you would imagine that what's the question I'm asking you here, Andres, what's the reputation like uh, of Korea in the international uh, crypto community? Well, um, definitely globally, if you look at crypto investors, they look at them um, a lot more like um, a lot more gambling uh, trading patterns, those kind of things. Okay. But for crypto projects, it, I'm not too sure if we have a truly great reputation, mm. but uh, especially after this, but... Uh, if you look at the amount of projects that has happened in, in, in Korea, you know, there's really not a, one really truly lasting one. You know, it's not like uh, we don't have a Ethereum or we don't have a top really 10 coin. Well, we did, but not for long, right? Mm. Uh, but in the from a global perspective, I definitely seems like... Uh, there's a lot more innovation happening in Korea. And there's this uh, divide actually between the global perspective because they see Korea as actually a lot, as uh, very innovative and very like fast paced in adapting technology. But also uh, there's not really that, there's language gap, you know, because a lot of the things that uh, are shared, the the documents, the mm. they're, they're not geared towards, uh, I guess, a global community, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I feel like uh, Luna had this outreach also was because Do Kwon was completely fluent in English and he was out there making his name, you know, like making his name known. Mm. And um, But apart from that, you know, it, it doesn't seem like we have a positive outlook on Korean cryptos going up. Right, because of this, but uh, I, I'm, I'll be lying if I said that people are probably gonna like forget this. You know, it, I, I I think that a lot of people that are gonna be invested into crypto globally are not gonna be looking at this as um, oh they're gonna be looking at this as a major event, but there's not gonna they're not gonna it's not gonna stop them from. <laughs> buying a cryptocurrency that was made in Korea, right? It doesn't mm. seem logical, right? Sure. And if you look at Korea's history, anything, it gets knocked down and it gets back up again. Like Korea, Korean people are, are pragmatic, resilient. They overcome and whether, yeah. you know, when tragedies or, or things happen, look where it is today. And, and so, yeah, those things can happen. It's interesting to the way you present this, because I didn't really cons thought of it like that, that Luna as a Korean project, like Luna as a top 10 world crypto coin, like, because Korea likes to be Korea number one fighting. It wants yeah. to be, it wants to be billboard number one. It wants the Oscars, it wants the billboards and it makes the people feel proud, right? And so that will be a shock to the Jasingam or the confidence. And I, I get that. But if Luna is Korean, this might be a stupid question. Is Bitcoin Japanese, American, is Ethereum, like, I, I forget the dude's name, and he's a very skinny, kind of Eastern European, Russian dude. Are, are they associated with a certain country, like Lunar is with Korea, or are they just, like, global? 
Oh, I, I think that um, maybe in the beginning parts of a project, mm. you might have actually a sense of nationalism <laughs> or project. Yeah, yeah. That, that quickly wears off. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin, uh, you really don't know where Saka uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is from. Uh, we to this day we really don't know who the creator of Bitcoin is. Name is a bit of a hint if that is the real name. <laughs> it doesn't sound German. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is the name of a of a forum, you know, that he has yeah. on a forum. So yeah. like, I could have named Satoshi Nakamoto in a forum. Sure. I, but uh, for Vitalik, I, he, although he's yeah. Russian, if I'm not mistaken, and. He lived abroad also in uh, Canada, right? But there's not really a sense of nationalism for uh, currency projects, right? Um, but for Korean projects, it, it definitely seems like it. there is because, partly because there's so much interest gathered for Korean, uh, between Korean investors, you know, just the amount of hype and the amount of like uh, people that have already invested in, uh, in crypto uh, oozes that, you know? Influences yeah. that sure. I, I, I want to move on to the law, but before we do that, Andre, is there anything that we need to explain about the tech? Like I've tried to understand the apps, the wallets, the stable coins, the, the crash of Luna. Is there anything like from a tech point that we're missing that you think we should understand or are we on to law now? Well, uh, we, we could go on and on about tech because there's constantly new uh, innovations coming in. But um, there's these new concepts that have been introduced, right? And that mostly uh, common people have known like metaverse, NFTs, right? Mm. But apart from that, you know, I think that it's really important for people to know what uh, DAO and smart contracts are, you know? DAO, um, D-O-W. DAO, yeah, D-O, no, D-A-O. Oh, like the Tao Te Ching, like Tokyo, yeah, yeah. So Noja. It stands for um, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So basically uh. what this enables is basically um, a source of governance on uh, a way to vote for things um, in a project, uh, for new proposals on what to do um, for a common purpose. You know, like we can look at, let's say, Constitution Tao. I think it was in September that they tried to buy the U.S. Constitution, the, the copy of the U.S. Constitution. Mm. And uh, they've all assembled because uh, in a matter of 10 days to buy, and they've raised $40 million, right? Uh, unfortunately, they were not able to buy the Constitution, but... but unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but what... The technologies that are behind this really give an outlook on what can be actually possible. You know, if you have a group of common people that have the sim uh, similar interests, you know, and they have a common goal, mm. then uh, you can gather up and uh, anyone can participate with their money. You know, if you own, let's say, let's say even for Luna, if you own one Luna, then you could participate. In, I'm not sure if it was one, but if you own some sort of Luna, you know. Some amount of Luna, then you could have participated in this governance po uh, policy on how they're gonna mint or uh, how much they're gonna mint on certain things like that, you know. Mm. And this is this is new developments that are coming up and that are probably gonna be still uh, prominent. And I hope that are implemented uh, more, you know. That I hope that there's more DAOs. Um, 
Additionally, also uh, smart contracts, right? So uh, Bitcoin in itself or cryptocurrency is programmable money. You know, it's internet money that you can mm. program. And what it can what do you mean you program to... it? Sorry, Andre, to cut it. What do you mean it's money that you can program? It's internet money, so, but it's programmable. Yeah. So, for example, if you look at Ethereum, you know, you can put code into it so that uh, through smart contracts, you know, so that if a set amount of conditions are met, mm. then money is sent to a person that you uh, wanted to send money to, right? What kind um, of conditions? So, like, I, if you send me this file and this file is correct, then I send you that yeah. money. That You mean like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's that, or let's say you can set conditions such as on this day, I'm going to send this much amount of money to him, you know? A simple way to think about it, right? That's so, just like using Cacao Bank or something like that. You just send. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can automate that though. On Cacao, I'm not sure if you can uh, make it so that it's immediately sent. But, okay, okay. Um, mm -hmm. These types of smart contracts and DAOs and um, NFTs, which is basically um, true ownership of digital assets, right? Mm. These are the 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 things that are going to be able to enable innovation in the space right and uh I, if people are not aware of these uh like i guess four concepts you know the metaverse the nfts the dao or smart contracts i think it's a great place to uh, try to understand this right uh i'll definitely be talking more about this and uh later but i i think that that's the tech stuff that I would have it as a preliminary, you know, understanding on uh, whether you understand or not, you know, uh, crypto, right? Mm -mm -mm. So, I just thought about that idea of the, the Dow buying a, the copy of the US Constitution. And I thought maybe they should have done it and they should have just written in there like no more guns and then given it back. <laughs> to the, 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 that would solve some problems, I guess. <laughs> um, let's uh thank you for that so you've got the DAO, the smart contracts the nfts and the metaverse i think my knowledge is up to date now can we talk about law a little bit andre because you know there are some country law in korea i mean because there are some countries around the world where like crypto is just a no-go it doesn't happen the governments are against it some countries the governments rule for it in Korea, it feels like, and I, I read this as an outsider, but when I see the news stories in, in the newspaper, um, it feels like the governments are, and the banks are always kind of a bit, we're going to let you do it. Actually, we're changing our mind. There are these regulations. Take these regulations away. It always seems like things are being negotiated or in flux and the government are not quite sure how to go. Can you give us maybe an overview on like what the law is or is the law in a good place? What's, what's the state of the union in terms of legality of crypto in Korea, Andre? Yeah, so crypto is fully legal. Uh, and actually, the new president, uh, has pledged to be pro-crypto. And I think that we're really at a good place, but it could definitely be better. Uh, it's of my understanding that actually uh, policymakers uh, have been talking to the people at the forefront of this innovation, right? People that are um, making metaverses or developing new protocols because they need to understand the concepts before they can make an effective policy. Mm -hmm. And that's really, 
uh, a forward step on, on this. But um, yeah, fully legal, uh, you can, um, although right now they're not taxable, you know, uh, I think. What does that mean, they're was, not taxable? So if you hold cryptocurrency and you make uh, a certain amount of profit, then yeah. Korean government has proposed that you pay a 20% tax on your profit. Um, this was supposed to actually be implemented this year, you know, mm. but uh, it's been postponed to 2023. Uh, and hopefully it gets postponed uh, a little bit more. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to pay tax. <laughs> tax sucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so in terms of tax right now, uh, it, it says this midsection between not actually being real money, kind of being like internet computer money, you know, game mm. money. And um, I, I like the idea of policymakers actually taking the time and understanding this and doing the appropriate laws for this. Um, I, there's some things that I, if I could criticize, you know, like uh, the band of ICOs, which is uh, initial coin offerings, like much like IPOs in the stock world. Mm. Um, they've been banned since like 2017, but there's just uh, ways to get around this. You know, you can just set up a, uh, a company abroad, you know, is, instead of in Korea and still have all of the work in Korea, right? This doesn't really make sense. Um, the, the travel rule, which is basically, if you want to send crypto to a Korean exchange, you mm. can only send it in batches of $1,000 unless you confirm where that money came from, right? That seems, uh, I'm not sure if that's really positive, uh, if, if that's really that, um, smart because people just get around that you know you just send 50 transactions of a thousand dollars and you get uh you can still get it done you know but it mm. really doesn't seem like it's uh truly effective or uh i think korean capital controls you know so that uh money is sent abroad that also needs to be fixed because every time that there's a, a mania phase in crypto kimchi premium Insists people, mm. Korean people pay higher for the same crypto, and it's been a downside for uh, a lot of Koreans, you know. But I, I'm actually quite optimistic on uh, on the on the legality of crypto and on the policies in Korea, though. Mm, mm. It's good that you're optimistic for the future. I was curious because I've done a lot of work on on the politics and the presidential elections and things like that. But I, I'd never really come across President Yoon's stance on crypto before. Maybe I, I, I just wasn't looking for it or it went over. Do you know anything more about that? Is it something explicitly he said or it, that's just he said crypto is OK? Or is it just a vibe or is it explicit? Is he doing anything like does he have a wallet? Do you know anything about that or is it just something? Yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure about more specific things about uh, what he's planning to do. Um, mm. It does seem like it's just generally more, he's just pro, but it, there's nothing really been concrete announced, you know, I, I don't have like his true opinions <laughs> on what his, what he thinks about this. Um, I, I'm guessing that he's self the fact that, oh yeah, you know, it's internet money. Yeah. Why not? You know, I'm for this. Why not? But he doesn't truly maybe understand what is the implications of uh, crypto. 
Yeah, but I, I think that's hard for many of us to get. But yeah, it's good that there are these positive things. Just stepping away, perhaps from Korea, like El Salvador and the Central African Republic, they've adopted, I might be wrong on this, but I think they've adopted Bitcoin as their, their national currency, right? And so they're like that. But then if you look north of the, the Yalu and things, you've got China, which is, as I understand, China are like, no Bitcoin. Bitcoin is degenerate. We manage the money. We are the government, right? Xi Jinping fighting. <laughs> Do you have any stance on that? Is like, would it, it, because one is completely blocking it out and the other is adopting it at the government level. So you've said Korea is in a pretty positive place, right? It's in the middle between those two things. Should it go more towards the El Salvador Central African Republic way or it, it's good where it is? Um, definitely seems like it needs to go into more of the El Salvador or Central African uh, way. But I, to be honest, I don't think it's likely though. Um, we're quite far apart from China in terms of regulation and the uh, overall like sentiment towards crypto. Mm. But uh, it seems quite unlikely that uh, Korea is going to adopt Bitcoin or uh Bitcoin right now, or like mm. maybe in the very long future, uh, it might, but I, I really don't think that we're at that stage of fully committing it to uh, crypto economy, right? Mm -hmm. But um, especially after the crash of Luna, right? But it, it definitely seems like it's in between. Um, funny fact that like Chinese crypto regulation always seems to happen at the peak of when there's this mania phase in crypto. So you might be able to use it as a way to understand that uh, I should probably sell this, you know, like in 2017, they've, uh, they've, they've banned Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in itself because it really doesn't align with their uh, interests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they want the digital yuan, right? And um, in 2021, I think there was a ban for crypto mining in China also, right? Um, but I hope that although we are not like that, uh, Korea is really not anything close to China in terms of its policy. I really hope that we're progressing more into the uh, El Salvador and Central African Republic, but what I'm guessing is going to happen is that uh, Korea is going to sit back, look how these policies has affected El Salvador and Central Republic and uh, adopt it in a perspective that it's best for them, right? Mm. Um, which is going to take a lot of time. Uh, but like you say, the most important thing, I guess, for people doing that thing is that crypto is fully legal and there's certain regulation there's no tax on it at the moment that's pretty <laughs> interesting thing yeah. congratulations on that i guess for the record i should probably say this just so it's clear i don't have any crypto or anything like that i remember years ago my friend amos uh who's big into meme culture was trying to get me to buy dogecoin and um, one time i gave a lecture when we have zoom backgrounds and i'd like the doge dog behind me just like peeking over a mountain and everybody thought it was an advert for me to buy crypto it's like nah, i don't i don't yet uh, i don't have any you mentioned mining i just want to put that out there. you mentioned mining andre and 
I, is there an environmental aspect to it? So regardless, you know, of, of other things, is there an environmental aspect? And I feel like this about K-pop sometimes that a lot of the success of K-pop groups is or headlines are generated by how many YouTube streams they have. So Blackpink passes 1 billion for how do you like that? And, and they've got 1.1 on this. And but to get those streams, you have people running like chain farms or like these Hadegi things there where they're just running computers, four or five platforms, 24 hours a day for for kind of nothing, really, just for numbers. Is there an environmental aspect with mining to this thing that we need to be aware of? Or is is it just like that's not the real conversation? Well, um, it seems to be quite a minimal problem, but I do understand when people are saying, oh, there's environmental concerns about this, right? And to get to the specifics, you know, if you're talking about, uh, there's two, I guess, main ways, but the main way that Bitcoin operates is through a proof of work uh, consensus mechanism. And it requires a lot of uh, computing power and electricity to mine, you know, mine uh, Bitcoin and validate the transactions, right? Hmm. But if you're comparing it dollar for dollar, you know, for let's say the GDP of a country compared to the, the full amount of dollars that Bitcoin has generated, you know, the, then I really don't think it's a fair argument because if you compare it to any GDP per capita, uh, then crypto has is transactioning a lot more wealth than any other GDP per capita, right? Mm -hmm. And to be honest, the name of the game in crypto mining right now is, um, like I told you, GP, like computing power and electricity cost. Computing power, we can't really do anything about, you know, and it's really not harmful to the environment. Maybe there is an argument for that, but we're not going to address that right now. But the, the true uh, inhibiting factor is the electricity cost, right? Mm. And for, uh, if I were to think in the, in the mindset of a miner, then I would think, what is the cheapest way I can use electricity, right? And the way that, um, I guess, energy is created, I'm not really an expert on energy, right? But what I'm under, my understanding of it is that there's always bottlenecks on how you can, how much you can store electricity mm. in every single energy uh, sector, you know, producing sector. So what uh, the outlook that I have in the future is that uh, most of the mining power for Bitcoin or other coins that require a lot of uh, electricity are going to go to these uh, bottlenecks and they're going to be run when like everything, when storages are full, you know, and it, it really does seem like uh, the, 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 it's naturally gravitating towards uh, either green energy, hydroelectric, uh, mm. uh, these kinds of sustainable um sources and there's not much to um criticize you know because there's change the positive change is already happening the 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 reliance on more green energy is already happening i feel like mm. and the whole world is already gravitating towards that and uh it wouldn't make sense for uh crypto or bitcoin you know to not gravitate towards that right and uh, the economic incentives are aligned to being more environmentally friendly. And that's why in the long run, I feel like it's going to work itself out, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. 
and we'll keep using paper straws at Starbucks until then. <laughs> I, I hate paper straws, man. It's like, come on. I, I, I just want them to finish. I think that's my gripe. Um, what, rather than the environmental thing then, and rather than looking at what problems crypto might cause, what problems can crypto solve? So like, it, if something's going to exist or if things are going to survive, they have to be efficient or they have to contribute or they're there for a reason. They do something. So if you look at cryptocurrency, um, what problems do you think it can address in the world? What role does it play in that thing? Is it capable of making our lives better? Yeah. Um, in the most basic manner, I think it's a way to transfer money in a decentralized manner, right? That's the, the, the surface level understanding of uh, the benefits of how it can improve the world. Like, for example, if you look at Russia, right, uh, the Russian war, you know, and the Russian ruble tanked, and there was a lot of people trying to, like, send their capital abroad, right? And the same reasons why crypto has been able to solve this problem for uh, people stuck in, uh, let's say, Ukraine or Russia, you know, that are trying to, like, send their money abroad, you know, um, is solving that problem in itself, right? But also, it's solving the reliance on a centralized power or, let's say, a nation and mm. uh, its currency. Historically, if we look, uh, most countries have gone through... Uh, cycles of like where they had to their their, their cur currency was so inflated that they had to mint, uh, make a new one right like mm -hmm. with peru i lived in peru and in peru we had inti and president kind of crashed it so we had solace now you know but this reliance on uh these centralized powers i think that it's uh quite negatively affecting everyone uh that it cannot access uh, banks, you know, that cannot access financial systems, and crypto mm. in itself solves this. It makes the bankless banked, and it it allows people to not only skip the government that they have that was corrupt, you know, mm. um, but also be able to access other sorts of uh, decentralized services like apps, you know, like for example, uh, like I told you with uh, smart contracts and. Um, maybe a new topic that we can talk about is oracles, right? Um, oracles are taking data that is outside of the crypto world mm -hmm. and inserting it. So basically uh, what this allows, the combination of these two, what allows is basically, let's say uh, insurance, right? In, let's say health, no, no, crop insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say if I'm a farmer in Peru and or farmer in Venezuela, and I cannot rely on the government or the institutions there for crop insurance because I know that they will not be able to do a competent job, then what uh, innovations in crypto has allowed to do or what it will allow to do is people jumping over their government and being able to access crypto insurance because it, and they will be able to get, I don't know, a certain amount of funding if temperatures, uh, if a certain set of conditions are met, you know, so let's say temperatures reach this amount, you know, so crops are definitely going to die or, or there's not enough rain or these kind of conditions that are already 
or weather conditions that are already available in the internet and are are trustworthy. You know, mm. if we can rely on these sources of information to uh, allow services, you know, through oracles, which is attaching the weather patterns into the conditions of a smart contract, a smart contract, mm. and then the smart contract distributes it in a permissionless way. You know, there's not a computer saying. There's not a person behind a computer saying yes to this, yes to this, no to that. There's just a contract that it says, uh, and if those conditions are triggered, then they will be able to access these financial, uh, I guess, um, these financial systems, you know, that hmm. can massively improve their life, you know. And <clears throat> it's not only for uh, the context of, let's say, the people that are unbanked, but also for the people that are banked, you know, like if I were to send money abroad right now, then what would be the best way, the fastest way, the cheapest way that I can send a billion dollars abroad? Well, I think it will Give be... it to me, I'll do it for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you with it. <laughs> but yeah. Western Union billion... transfer or something, isn't it? Or you go to your bank, right? Yeah, but they're going to charge you how much? How much are they going to charge for uh, just that kind of transaction? And will I have to rely on the competence of the company, or would, should I rely on centralized systems that I know that uh, transactions are being confirmed, and I know the amount of time it'll take will be faster, cheaper, and uh, in a sense with less regulation than I uh, than I would possibly want, you know. Those are the kind of benefits that I, I, the influence, the positive influence that I see with uh, crypto. I could go on more about this, but um, the basic premise of digital currency that is decentralized would be that. And the things around it, you know, like that are constructed around the NFTs, uh, lock, uh, what was it? Smart contracts, oracles, uh, mm. DAOs. Those are the things that will be able to supply more to uh, financial services to people you know is it more important you explain like the the insurance for for crop insurance for people that they can't trust their government or there might be corruption there might be bribery and nepotism that goes on and so being able to get like crypto insurance that's based on this coded information like or this smart contract that says you know there was too much rain so therefore we understand your insurance pays out does this mean that it's genuinely more advantageous for countries with more corrupt governments where they cannot control their institutions? So while, whereas that this system can help people in Peru or Venezuela, that if you're in London, oh, that, that actually, let's not talk about our government. <laughs> if you're, <laughs> Jesus Christ, they'll be, they'll be drinking in Downing Street or something oh, while yeah. everyone else is locked down, right? Um, if you're in, let's say, a developed country, that then it becomes less necessary. It still might be good for trading and buying or you want to buy things on the internet, you want to go on the dark web and do some of that, but it's less necessary in developed countries. Is that a fair point? Or it still has advantages here as well? Well, I, I think it's even more, I don't know about the necessity, but the mm. interactiveness on the benefits of crypto are even much more present for first world countries, right? I really do think that uh, the people that are going to be involved in this are going to be the smartest people in the world at first, you know, mm. people that are on the fringe and um, these people are going to find new ways of like organizing together projects, right? 
like through DAOs, through a collective, uh, let's say, incentivized interest, you know. Uh, it definitely seems like it's gonna be uh, a lot more interactive for first world countries because they're gonna be the first one in uh, adopting there already are the first ones adopting NFTs. There are already the first ones adopting uh, metaverses, you know, like mm. the, the, these kinds of concepts are already uh, present. And the first world is, the, I guess, the first that to actually adopt this. And later on, it will, I guess, be more widely accessible to third world countries also through more education about how these uh, systems work. The let's let's talk very quickly andre about nfts and metaverses then because you've mentioned these a few times and i think you've been i if i'm mistaken tell me but you've been working on these two in in, in your employment recently like I, the first question i want to ask you is do you own any N nfts yeah i currently own one nft um is it a monkey lemon. or is it something else no. i don't know, I don't I'm, know. Not, I'm not rich enough to in uh okay own a monkey but um yeah, I've also owned several other NFTs, but uh, I only own one, you know. I I only own that because it's impossible to sell right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a picture of Doug Not one? Out of my <laughs> <laughs> I, can you put forward a persuasive argument for NFTs? Because like the, the insurance things, the Venezuela, the Peru, I, I, I mean, I can completely get that. And I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And also remembering that I'm a bit of an old boomer Gonde type. I'm, I, I'm older, so it, it, it's there's a natural hesitancy uh, from me. But can you put forward a compelling argument for NFTs? Yeah, so... Um... Like I said, crypto is programmable money and NFTs are digital ownership, right? Mm. So this is a really key concept that people need to understand. I understand that most people see a picture of a monkey online and they see an NFT like that and they're like, oh, right click save, I own the NFT. But yeah. it's not really working like that. Like a really easy way to understand it is much like baseball cards or Pokemon cards. Like I could actually make a Pokemon card and it will look almost exactly the same. And the, depending on how like great I am at copying these and how great of a scammer I am, mm. I can actually sell it for the real thing, right? But what through the blockchain, like you're allowed to confirm that these digital assets are yours. And this is uh, brings a new level of like ownership, right? Ownership that you own the real thing, right? Mm. And you might see it as the first utility is collectibles, right? Exclusive from artists, you know. Um, then the second is, I think there's different ways of providing utility for these NFTs, right? Like, for example, if you look at Royal IO, they are a project that uh, have been selling NFTs. And um, basically what they do is they distribute the royalties of streaming services of music artists mm to the NFT holders, right? So through a smart contract, I can say, you know what? Uh, on this time, if this amount of money is inserted into, is made by uh, the royalties through streaming, then I'm gonna give 2% of that to this NFT holder. And these are kind of the NFT, the, the, the ways that 
you can innovate about uh, in this industry. You can innovate most industries through this, uh, through NFTs. <clears throat> like for example, well, let's look at other um, collectibles. You know, like if you own a Pokemon card and I give it to you or I sell it to you, the original artist does not have uh, any profit, right? Mm. Right. But with NFTs, I can program in that every single time that you trade, I get a 1% of your transaction fee because I, uh, in, although it's not, it might not be a lot, you know, that can accumulate over time. And actually I can make, I can get my fair share of how like hype or famous or good or something is, you know, in the long mm-hmm. term. You know? mm-hmm. And these are the utility cases of the NFTs, right? Um, there's also like, I feel like, a true in- integration there needs to be a true integration between the real world and nfts the value that pro- uh, can be provided by uh nfts right and i am hoping that in the future or the way that i see in the future is that there's going to be property ownership but there's also going to be property ownership uh, delegated through i don't know DAOs, uh set up by smart contracts owned by nfts right and these are the any the the systems that will allow you to actually purchase a home, you know. And I I, I that's the the argument that I can give right at the top of my head right now. But mm. uh, there's a thousand more use cases on how you can develop NFTs to being more useful for not only a way to collect things, but also in a more uh, utility function, right? In a more functional way, right? The Pokemon or baseball cards is, uh, is is an interesting analogy because you've seen what we talked about trends. The Pokemon bread is like in Korea at the moment. It's ridiculous yeah. trying to. I've been trying to get some of that for my kids, but it's like really hard. Like I, I give them an I give them an NFT instead of the Pokemon <laughs> bread. Eat that. It might cost more. It might cost more. Yeah, it might do. It might do. Um, just drawing this, Andre. I, I I think towards the end. What do you think about like? tech and the future in south korea south korea is one of the most wired like nations in the world you spoke about germany before we started recording like they have terrible internet speed like internet speed in germany is terrible shit but in korea it's like broadband wi-fi everywhere you go people are clued in tecton like korea seems to be pretty conducive to this kind of technology this kind of future getting online people have what do you call them now like bouquets these alternate characters and everything like that is the future is tech this is a good place for korea you you, you're positive about this do you have any comments on you know korea going forward and its association with these new technologies that can at first seem kind of scary and weird to old people like us but for you it's you know it's the way forward do you have any comments on that uh, Andre? Yeah, definitely. Definitely seems like Koreans are going to be the first adopters for any kind of technology, uh, especially crypto technology right now. And it, it's just part of the high adaptability of technology, but the high pace of things, of how things evolve. And mm. to be honest, the high pace of things, how everything goes really in Korea, you know. Um, but it does seem like very positive outlook for Korea in it in terms of its integration, you know, in terms of its users adopting this technology. Uh, I'm really not sure about uh, if Korea is going to be the peop- uh, the the hub of making these technologies uh, because 
historically a lot of these technologies has happened in Silicon Valley or uh, a lot of like hub spots where um, there's a lot of like cultures and uh, the smart, world smartest people go to. Mm. Uh, but what happens historically, I feel like, is Korea sees that there's an opportunity in implementing technology that has been implemented abroad, and then they make its Korean version of it, right? Like you said, Kakao Taxi or mm. uh, things like that. But it, it seems like Koreans are going to be the first ones to adopt all of these technologies. Um, and the first world also will be along with Korea to adopt these technologies or even like the, the, the hubs of technology like Silicon Valley, I don't know, Berlin, London, uh, these, these hotspots are going to be the first uh, people that are actually adopting, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm -mm -mm. But, but now, the, go on, sorry. Yeah, but more basic than that, though, I, I, there's a need-based adoption also that is happening in Venezuela and uh, Ukraine and uh, in Russia. And these uh, these are, I guess, spikes on people adopting it. And uh, I'm really hopeful to see which countries are going to be adopting this because uh, the need and how it's going to be providing much more value to them than just, I guess, currency, right? Mm, no, absolutely. And when I say this, this is not me adopting like the Gukbong coin, but you know, now we're talking about Korea next to Berlin, London, Silicon Valley, rather than Venezuela, Peru, with no disrespect to those countries. But do you see what I mean by that? Where Korea is now in the world, it's being associated with these highly developed and these early adaptabilities rather than dealing with systemic corruption and stagnation, which it it's kind of overcome that i think and that's that's a really good thing points to the future i'm hoping that it's the center of technology in asia but uh to be honest to be completely fair it seems like it's gonna be the center of uh, the hub of technology in asia it's gonna be singapore um but i i guess we can be the the going with them you know the second mm. in line what what does Singapore have? I mean, Singapore famously, oh, I might get it wrong, but has sort of, it's very multicultural, isn't it, Singapore? It has kind of four different, more ethnical demographics in there. What does Singapore have that Korea doesn't? Um, I think maybe uh, diverse culture. The world's smartest people are going to, if you're in Asia, the, the world's smartest people are probably going to go to uh, Singapore, right? If you're around, like, I don't know, the world, I guess, you could probably say an argument for Silicon Valley and London and these kinds of spots, but mm. uh, the world's smartest people are going to Singapore. I'm not sure about their immigration policy and their friendliness towards foreigners, but that's definitely something that Korea could improve so that we can uh, increase the the amount of brain power that we actually have, you know? Um, <clears throat> it definitely seems like that's the the way to go about how uh, we can gather more talent, uh, apart from also just more education, more of the basic things that we already have constructed, right? Mm. But uh, Singapore, definitely multiculturalism. Uh, people are, I guess, look all sorts of different ways. And it's, I guess, more like inviting, I guess. Um, there's a lot already of financial hub. There's, there's a financial hub in Singapore already and a lot of the crypto world uh, actually Luna went from being based in South Korea to be, being based in Singapore actually mm. uh, 
because the amount of talent that can be provided and the amount of like I guess business that's already going there is really pulling everyone to to join them, right? And that's I feel like the reason why it's growing much more faster and it's uh, I guess a more concentrated place than Korea in itself. Also, I guess you've got the English language, which dominates a lot of Singapore business yeah. and things like that, which is not always the case in Korea. And it's nice and warm in Singapore. I've taught yeah. some students from... Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. But it seems like it's the, the mid middle ground between uh, English speaking also and uh, Mandarin and Chinese uh, Asian culture uh, speaking, uh, Asian language speaking. Uh, but yeah, definitely mm. seems like that middle ground that that spot where everyone can meet you know yeah absolutely i i've uh hanyang in the international courses uh, especially during the summer and winter i've taught some students from singapore and just been blown away just by how incredibly smart they are sometimes you know there's there's a lot good of stuff going on in there and it, it's nice that korea is part of that conversation um andre let, let's bring this towards and it's, it's been fascinating like listening and understanding a bit more of the the ground level when this conversation closes i i want you to send me some korean memes from the all the crypto on those just so i can i, I can put them in right because yeah. we need to see them I'll, I'll i'll edit them in um but it's been great just to bring this to a close like with the same question that i've asked everyone thus far um although we've been talking about money and digital technology I always enjoy asking people about this kind of this very human thing about existence and we're all here together whether we're in Venezuela doing our crops or whether we're in Singapore wearing our shorts because it's so bloody hot um, but what do we do in this life to give ourselves meaning and how, how do we provide value to other people beyond ape NFTs Andre what's the meaning of life mate? I actually thought about this question really hard and I was thinking about how to answer this for quite a bit, um, but mm. it's really hard question, but I guess life is meaningless and we're, we're here to put meaning into it, you know, and, um, and for me, I think it's living something beyond for myself and um, I guess there's the need for the, the human nature of for the need to abide for something and live for something greater for just personal benefit. Mm. And um, I don't know, I think um, I've seen growing up in Peru, a lot of people that have uh, not lived in the best like, conditions and the, the chaoticness and the, the suffering and all that goes around. But um, something that has stood with me while I guess early childhood, or I feel like something that has stood with most people that I've talked to, hopefully, mm. is that there everyone has some, some irrefutable truths in their lives. Um, they have um, certain things that they have conviction about that uh, beyond the level of, I guess, logic, you know, beyond the level that it can actually maybe justify. And those are the virtues uh, that, that I feel like uh, I've been confronting that, that although they reshape into different uh, ways, you know, into different uh, hobbies or dif different accomplishments or different things that I want to do. These are the uh, virtues that I feel like I've been confronting. And although I always find it hard to actually have a 
like high resolution of what this actually is, you know, I still see it as a constant thing, you know, as the same thing for me, you know, mm. and um, although I'm over the years, I feel like I'm, it's becoming a lot more like clear to me about this, like the resolution is being from like almost no understanding of it to a lot more concrete idea. I still don't know if I can verbally express how, what this North Star for me is, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think that that's still the, the thing that I've been able to just go for life was this idea that I have a certain like uh, irrefutable facts and beliefs that I have in my mind that um, I can make the world, I guess, a good place. Although <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a beauty pageant <laughs> contestant. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, look but, like one as well, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it, it seems like the only burden that I've been able to like pick up and like the only thing that I've been being able to that the only thing that I've been able to accomplish was in a, alignment to that, you know, or um, it, for me, I think it's also like small progressive steps towards like it, improving myself, you know, so that I can later, I guess, understand and uh, and have more of a deep, meaningful, positive effect on others. Uh, I, I realize I'm quite young and I really don't have my, um, I don't have to take on a lot of responsibility except for myself. Mm. Uh, but I understand that when I'm in my 40s, I'm going to have to be responsible for not only myself, but also for, uh, I guess, hopefully, or <laughs> I don't know, a family or uh, my, my existing family even. Mm. Um, and th these are the, the things that I feel like I put meaning into my life. Um, but yeah, I hope that everyone also has that true North Star, you know, that like thing that they like can believe with conviction, you know, and that they can confront um, so that they can have meaningful uh, meaning in their in, in their life. You know, it, it, that's the only way I feel like I've been able to uh, live and keep, I guess, sanity in a sense mm. uh but and the thing that brings value or like the thing that uh like grounds me also is disbelief uh, when i when i'm uh in times of trouble i guess um but yeah if i've talked too much about this i'm not too sure but um i this is what i believe you know life is quite meaningless but then there's when you go out through life you realize that there's something that you don't know that you can't comprehend that you can use as a north star to guide you and um i guess guide your life you know mm. but i'm that's, really that's curious I'm really curious how you would answer that question on the meaning of life if your friends asked you it in a bar after a loads of soju at 2 a.m. What, <laughs> what your answer would be then? I, I'm not sure you'd be talking about North Stars. Would be. <laughs> I think just the, nat the nature of the question makes people go like, I've got to say something profound and deep and, 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 and nice. And it's like, yeah. I'm waiting for someone to say, I just get messed up, man. Just get drunk, have a good time. That's all there is to it. You know, I, what, and rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely. Sex, drugs, rock and roll and taxes. That, that's, that's 
one day someone will say that to me but no it's it's really cool what you say um let me ask you one last question how do you say thank you in peruvian well in spanish say gracias Uh, okay yeah (laughs) is that it that's just what they say in peruvian they just say gracias that's gracias uh we have like several different languages but Okay. I'm not too sure how to say it in Quechua, but most people only speak Spanish, so uh, we say gracias. Then, to you, Andre, for today's conversation, I say gracias. Muchas gracias a ti también. De nada. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we cut it there. All right, mate. Nice one, nice one, nice one.